All right, let's do it. All right, so you guys are joining us. If you have joined the live podcast, you have joined us uh, broadcasting live. This is our first time actually broadcasting our podcast live, right, Chris? It's our first time, yes. First go round. And we thought this might be a, a good topic for some folks who may be interested in our thoughts on Charlottesville. I know that we we both kind of posted a couple of things on social media, but we wanted to address it to our podcast audience. So we're going to go ahead and get started, and I'm going to do our intro that we usually do and hop right in. Welcome back to the Boxing One Podcast. This is episode number 37, and I'm your co-host, John Richards, a.k.a. Jay Rich, and I'm here with the homie, Chris Lassner, C. Lass. What's up, man? Uh, what up, Jay Rich? I'm chilling, man. Look, man, so we usually do three topics each episode, and we try to hit on a sports topic, something that's going on in the culture, and then kind of give the folks a little something theological as well. But for this episode, we thought it would be good for us to spend the entire episode discussing the events that happened this past weekend in Charlottesville. Uh, obviously, uh, most people who are listening are Americans and know what went down this past weekend in Charlottesville. A lot of media coverage has happened uh, where a group um, of um, white nationalists, most would call them, uh, assembled down in Charlottesville at the University of Virginia. How far is that from you, man? All right, just to give you some context, I live in Stanton, Virginia, and we're exit 87 on uh, Interstate 64. Charlottesville would be exit 118. So you're looking at about 35 miles in distance, about 45 minutes in real time. Wow. Okay, so that's about 45 minutes from you. So, so last Friday, we saw images of a group of people towards a statue of General Lee, Robert E. Lee, um, on the University of Virginia's campus. It's been a, that statue has been a point of contention since the spring. They actually um, had some conversations surrounding it in the spring as well. And this go round, they decided they were going to petition uh, to be able to assemble around said statue. And they were carrying a bunch of tiki torches and went down to the statue. And there were some counter protesters down there as well. Things got a little bit dicey, um, but they didn't really escalate to uh, what we were able to see on Saturday or observe on Saturday on the news where um, ultimately uh, one woman was killed uh, by a car that rammed into her. Uh, a couple of other folks were also killed. I think there were three deaths total. Uh, and there's been a lot of conversation surrounding uh, the president's response, uh, evangelical Christians' response. And what we want to do uh, here on the podcast is kind of discuss some of those things, uh, talk about the social implications of that, uh, and then talk about some theological implications that we both have been working through personally. So, C-Lass, let's go ahead and get started, man. Talk about some of the stuff that you've been processing uh, in light of Charlottesville. I, I think um, it's it's been uh, completely overwhelming emotionally 
um, I think one of the hardest things is just knowing like this is literally like there's a mountain that we drive over that separates us from Charlottesville. And I uh, literally just knowing like on the other side of this mountain, all this is going on and the bombardment of um, just the imagery of hate has been really hard to process. And you think something like uh, race, some people say race isn't real, it's a social construct, whatever, but um, just knowing like, hey, this person didn't choose his skin color, I didn't choose my skin color, and this thing is raging, and um, like it's vile and it's violent. Uh, I know you had sent me uh, a mini documentary on it and just watching some of the interviews that took place and thinking like, man, like uh, this is happening in my backyard. That is um, that is that is difficult to process. So um, I think if anything's been just kind of stuck out to me, it's been um, just the imagery of it all, and just thinking like this is my backyard. The name of the high school I went to, and my daughter actually goes to now, just started, is called Robert E. Lee High School, and um, like just the shocking differences in how people can look at the same facts. And I have so many different takeaways, and I guess that's part of human nature, but, um, and then some of the things where people just aren't calling hate hate has been uh, really difficult to process as well. So I, I think those are probably um, big picture, um, kind of some of my takeaways um, from a social uh, from a social standpoint. So, what about so you? let me ask you this, man, you're a minority, right? So yeah. when you looking at these images on Friday night with the tiki torches, um, all white males and females, a lot of them skewing a little bit younger and hearing chants like blood and soil or um, what was the other chant that they were saying? Um, you won't replace us. Yeah, you won't replace us. Like what at, at that point as a minority in this country, what's What's really going through your mind? How are you processing that? Um, has this country ever really wanted us here? Will they ever really want us here? Um, I think I think it was really that simple, you know. Um, you just look, and I mean, providentially, Jay Rich, and I know, um, like, if we pull back the curtain on the podcast, uh, we talk a lot off the air, and I was like, hey, pray for me. Like, I have this coming up, and it was at a church that would be predominantly white. Um, Bible believe and gospel centered church had asked me to come and talk about racial reconciliation in the church before any of this stuff had even happened and teach it in a Sunday school class. So I had been going like as like one third of the preparation, the history of racial division in the church in America. And so I was already laboring through some really hard stuff. They just kind of had you saying, um, uh, uh, for instance, um, there was an evangelist who was given a report that um, he was sharing the gospel with some Negroes and one of the women stood up in the missions report and said, you're baptizing Negroes. And she didn't use the word Negroes. Um, you might as well be baptizing puppies. And I had uh, heard that from Walter Strickland, a professor at wow. Southeastern and Wake Forest um, in his talk. But I'm going back through all of these things. Um, people still like believing in the curse of him that black people are cursed and destined biblically to a position of servitude. I know we said we get to the theological in a bit, but um, 
but just having like been immersed in that all week already and just like then having to confront that right on too has been like man um will this thing ever work out will we ever be anything in this country but despised yeah and here's here's the here's the other thing right so a lot of people were making this big fuss about about their faces being uncovered like they're them not having hoods on uh in their zeal to say that this is our country or um blood and soil uh you won't replace us uh those things kind of conjured images of of a clan of the clan but without the hoods so one of the things that that i you know kind of process and thinking through that is that um when you talk about the clan and their presence in in the south yeah you you did have um that image that imagery of hoods and burning crosses but then you think about the tons of images that we've seen man we're strong we're strange feet that fruit are strung up on trees and they're having they're having little parties surrounding <laughs> lynch mobs they're called surrounding folks uh, minorities who are hanging from trees without mask on women children men um so this isn't something that is just a new phenomenon not that there was any lynching or anything going on out there but when you're saying things like that and when when the when the speech is so filled with so much hatred um that does conjure up those images man sociologically um for anyone who's a minority whose parents have told them about this i've heard so so many of my friends say look um that felt like the 60s watching that. You know, you see these pictures being juxtaposed against one another where um, where they just look the same, like 2017 incident looking like something from the 1960s, man. So that has some type of emotional toll on, on us as a minority. And for Christian minorities, like we want to hear from our brothers and sisters in Christ um, decrying that know actually saying something about it and um honestly we didn't get as large a response as we thought we would and uh you know that goes to some political issues that we might want to touch on but that was kind of my first impression was wow um i mean they were not hooded and they were younger but when you look back at some of those photos when those lynching mob photos they didn't have hoods on either it was like they were having a party yeah. Um, so it, I don't see the distinction there. Yeah, I think um, some of the imagery that stuck out to me, one uh, was a picture that went viral, but I think that actually was from something that happened previously in Charlottesville, because this is the second time they've been. Um, it was the picture of the black officer that um, was protecting the white nationalist. That picture was just amazing. Um, the pictures Powerful. of the uh, the picture of the clergy uh, marching, I thought was powerful. And then obviously the video, um, if you just had to pick one thing that kind of encapsulated the whole thing, the video of the march um, through the college Friday night, and then the video of um, the, the car driving through traffic on um, Saturday was just really, really hard to watch. Um, yeah. Yeah, I know. I know. So, I mean, that's a lot to process for a lot of people. And a lot of people processed it in front of their computers on keyboards. Um, you know, I think uh, both of our social medias are probably blowing up with 
with differing opinions on on what was going on. It just means that we have a diversity of friends, right, um, who have different opinions. But how do we as believers kind of approach that conversation um, and and offer grace and truth in having that conversation uh, with with folks who might not necessarily get how you and I are feeling. Um, so one, um, I mean, just a couple of like a random things like I think of is one, like it's, you, you're probably not going to get a very good response trying to suppress all your feelings into 140 characters. Um, so I tend to write longer and more nuanced and more thoroughly. Uh, in situations like this, just because I feel like the situation demands it. So probably um, something that lends itself to longer threads rather than Facebook, I mean, or like Twitter is probably helpful. Like for one, the very first thing I do is try to move these things um, off of social media into person. So I will be at a coffee shop this Saturday morning just talking with people and listening. It's just a form of love and like being willing to hear people's stories and being willing to uh, share your own. Um, and dialogue. So we'll be in a coffee shop this Saturday. Um, we'll go to somewhere like a Hardee's before church on Sunday, just open it up and say, hey, if anybody needs to talk, that'll be helpful in their healing. Like we'll listen or we'll share. Um, so we'll do two of those 730 um, Saturday morning. We'll get together with people and pray. And then I'll just keep teaching that at this Sunday school class. So um, I, I posted something on Facebook and I say like, Lord, I pray like for every post, I would do at least one tangible thing to be part of the solution here. So, I mean, that's kind of uh, my approach is it's hard to talk about, man, but I feel like those conversations go better in person. What about you? Yeah, I'm in the same way. Like I've, I always tell everybody, I tell folks when when you want to, when you need to have difficult conversations, especially with someone that you might not necessarily agree with you, um, keyboard's not the, not the greatest place. It's probably going to happen over forks and knives um, over a meal. I mean, that was Jesus' approach, approach in scripture. Um, and I think he did a pretty good job at that, <laughs> at dealing with that, telling the Pharisee he's coming to his house tonight and uh, kind of dealing with stuff head on, right? So um, there's something about um, sitting down face to face that becomes disarming. Um, and doing that intentionally, especially when topics like this come up, um, could be helpful in uh, moving towards some type of medium, uh, middle road or median. Uh, even if you walk away disagreeing, at least you've had a conversation about it. And sometimes that doesn't translate well, sitting down, typing things out. So, yeah, I would say that. Now let's shift gears a little bit here, man. Let's 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 move into uh, the theology behind uh, some of this. Let's let's talk about what scripture brings to bear on the things that have happened in Charlottesville, and how different people might see this differently uh, from a theological perspective. Because different people do see it differently. Uh, so so let's 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 dive into that, man. Let's let's start with this idea of the Imago Dei um, and, and what that means for, for us as minorities in seeing the white nationalists or for 
anyone who wants to have conversations and dialogue because this is hard, right? We've had conversation about this, right, Chris? Yeah. Um, so like I like to dabble in the theology. Um, I definitely feel like, like I'm grinding my teeth. Like I feel like you've had more formal training in that. So obviously I'm going to start, but I will leave it to you to do the, I'll, I'll hit, I'll hit lead off and then let you do the power hitting. Um, <laughs> You're going to let me be Sammy Sosa without the PEDs. <laughs> I got you. Uh, you like, like them too. Um, oh, dang. Yeah. Not the Sammy yeah. Sosa show. I wish we had more time to jokes today. But um, all right. So first, unequivocally, like we would say um, that the Bible would unequivocally like um, speak against racism in every single one of its forms. Um, and while, like, if someone said, like, prove that, um, like, we could prove that, like, doctrinally and anecdotally. Like, we think about stories like um, Moses and his wife and Moses and his sister, anecdotally, right? But, like, doctrinally, we say, like, hey, the core, like, verse we go to to say, like, people have their value is Genesis 1:26, where God calls the entire human race image bearers of him. Because of the fall in Genesis 3, we would say that image is broken, but still there, right? Um, so every person gets treated with dignity and every single person is an image bearer of God. And as, as we flesh that out, Paul touches on that as he's preaching the gospel. Um, I think in Athens in Acts 17, 26, right? Where he talks about we all come from one. Um, then we would look at verses like Galatians 3:28 that just says like, hey, like in Christ, all these divisions don't exist. He wasn't getting rid of culture or gender rules, but what he's saying is like, um, all these things are equal at the foot of the cross in terms of who we are from a, a person perspective. So those are just some of the things like we would say like, hey, we can see in these verses, like there's no room for racism. Hmm. And now I'll, I'll pass the heavy lifting on to you. Uh, yeah, but I'm, I'm going to push a little bit on that, right? Because so I want to ask you, like, hey, I'm talking to a white nationalist, and they're saying, hey, I'm a southern bred Christian, just like you are, and my Bible tells me that God chose a race of people to be His people, um, and then there are certain people in Scripture who are cursed. Um, and we feel like, uh, that we are a pure chosen people, um, as believers, as Christians, as people who baptize their children, who believe in Jesus Christ. Um, what type of conversation happens after you hear that from someone who believes they're a Bible believing Christian? Um, I think you just have to put, like, let scripture interpret scripture, right? Hermeneutically, we would say. Hey, if you've ever been taught that black people are cursed uh, because of the curse of Ham, uh, like that's just somebody who was trying to create an ideology out of one verse, applying it somewhere where the Bible never implied it. If you're saying um, are cursed uh, biblically, because or not biblically, but if you're saying like white people are cursed because Yakub three. Um, and they're evil, like the Bible would reject those notions equally. Um, and then we would look to verses like, or um, anecdotal stories, um, Acts chapter 10 with Cornelius, um, Isaiah 49. Hey, the reason God chose 
of people, Isaiah 49, 6, is to be a light to the Gentiles. Um, so God's plan's always been, the Missio Day's always been for all people, um, right? So um, he chose Abraham to be a blessing to all the nations. So uh, we see that this gospel always had a worldwide intentions, but God has like unfolded that plan of salvation mysteriously, as Ephesians would say in history, Galatians 4, 4. Um, at the appointed time, Jesus Christ came. Um, Matthew records Jesus's bloodline. And um, if you do a study of who's who in that bloodline, um, it would be hard to be a nationalist in that. So I, I think we just see so many things that would point against it in scripture. Yeah. And here's the thing that is mind blowing, right? Because you see that arc all through scripture from Genesis Revelation. Just think about the story of Moses. Who's he going to marry? Zipporah. <laughs> And then his own brother and sister come to him and like, bruh, like they were, they were nationalists in that sense, right? Haters. Haters. And God goes, God goes and says, all right, I got something for all of that. And then turns their hands leprous, which is white, right? Um, <laughs> and that's just the irony of that entire story. It's like Moses marries someone outside of the fold. And God is really cool with that because God's eternal purpose um, is for him to be able to be a light to all nations, the Messiah, the coming Messiah. Um, and the story of Genesis 3, 16, where, uh, where God says there's that proto-evangelion, right, where God says that uh, there's going to be a cosmic battle between the serpent and um, the woman's seed. It's happening all through uh, scripture. And I think part of that cosmic battle has to do with, with race and tension uh, between races uh, because Jesus ultimately does come, as you said, Galatians 3.28, uh, for us to be one, uh, for there neither to be Jew nor Gentile, male nor female, uh, black nor white. And for someone to say, I'm a Bible-believing Christian and deny that fact, they're going to have some serious problems in heaven. Okay. Art coming yeah. full circle. <laughs> because right. when you read Revelation 7, it talks about everyone being gathered around, multiple nations being gathered around the throne of God, worshiping God. So if you are a Bible believing Christian, guess what? You're going to have to accept the fact that there are brothers and sisters who are not part of this one race and i would challenge them hermeneutically and say hey look you have to look at the entire arc of scripture and not just take one verse out of context to form your ideology people have done that for centuries but the word of god is eternal it never changes god never changes himself so so god is working through this plan of redeeming his people all his people um, for all time all right I say we would add verses to that, like uh, Philip with the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter eight, right? Um, I mean, there's just so many places in scripture where we see like like hints of God's uh, universal salvation. Yeah, I mean, even when people are talking about the whole, the entire Black Lives Matter movement, right? Um, people are upset. Well, are you saying that all lives don't matter? Blue lives don't matter? Red lives don't matter? Well, 
if we're going to talk about being Christians and living by the book and being people of the book, I mean, you read an account in the book of Acts where we could create a hashtag, um, Hellenist widows lives matter because they were being neglected in the distribution. So the apostles saw fit to appoint a group of deacons who were Hellenists to take care of this group of Hellenist widows, essentially saying, we know that your lives matter and you guys are being neglected right now. Um, so we're going to segment you as a group um, and, and focus on your spiritual maturity and growth and focus on you becoming more Christ-like. And we're going to take care of not just your spiritual needs, but also your physical and social needs. So, so when people talk about the Black Lives Matter movement, which as a social movement, yes, the ideology of that particular group um, has some red flags. Uh, but at the same time, it doesn't stop us from, as Christians, affirming the fact that Black lives do matter. Um, ideo ideologically, uh, they are created in the Imago Day. They have been historically um, looked down upon. They have been historically uh, disenfranchised. They have been historically um, on a lower social and economic plane than others. And to 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 lift them up is is the same thing that's happened in in Acts was that six five or six uh, where does the disciples and the apostles say okay we can't focus on this right now but we will we will choose godly men uh, Stephen and others who can build with the take, spirit yep yep take care of these Hellenist widows and they they probably would have got the same pushback that we get back that people get today um, by focusing on one particular group, uh, but that's not to the exclusion of other groups. It's just because that was a social need at that time. Yeah, amen. Right. So, and I, I think um, just as far as Black Lives Matters goes, um, and I think if anybody really wants to like have a better understanding, Jamar Tisby did an excellent teaching. You can find it on YouTube about Black Lives Matters and um, just the difference between the slogan and the movement. You know what I'm saying? Like, hey, like when you're having that discussion with someone, like for Christians, like are you saying like, hey, I support this movement and every ideology or are you supporting the slogan? Because those may be two different things. It just helps to have some clarity. But I would, I would point people to that to watch the entire thing. It's like two hours long, but it's great and it's worth it, so. All right, man, let's talk about the Sunday silence. Uh oh, yeah, let's talk about Sunday silence. So <clears throat> over the past several years in the Christian space, things have happened um, in minority communities uh, and several minorities who attend majority uh, white churches or majority, ma majority, majority churches uh, come to church hoping against hope that uh, there will be something said from the platform or stage about that incident. Uh, for example, this past weekend, this Charlottesville incident, uh, people are hoping for at least getting a prayer from the stage about what happened. 
and not some passing uh, Jesus juke prayer, but a genuine prayer for uh, race relations in America. Or, I don't know, changing a sermon to address it. I think the word of God has something to say about it uh, on that Sunday. And there were some some pastors this weekend who did and very commendable. Uh, even at our church, our worship leader, uh, very grateful for her. She she actually spoke about it from the stage uh, after worship and talked about uh, some of the things that people could do and and watch to help to uh, increase their cultural intelligence as we move towards uh, unifying as a body. But it's just weird, man. There's there's this overwhelming silence from um, some evangelicals that could cause some of their minority brothers and sisters to feel like they don't care. So what gives, Silas? I know you're you're in Stanton. You have some evangelicals there in the area. What is the deal with that? All right. So real fast, um, I go to a church. I would be in that scenario where. Um, <laughs> Um, one of the only Oreo crumbs in the cup of milk, right? Um, as your boy Ed Gilbreth would say in his book, Reconciliation Blues, like I go to church and it's just not a whole bunch of people in there that look like me. Um, we go to church where we say like, hey, we see the gospel the way these people see the gospel more than these people look like us, but at times that's difficult, right? Um, but our church did pray and it was heartfelt. And um, like I've heard other pastors like Matt Chandler who say, hey, before we get into Matthew 5, uh, I don't think I need to say this, but I'm going to say this. Like um, racism in any form is pure evil and white nationalism in any form is pure evil. So thankful for people like that. Um, I talked to a couple pastors who mentioned it and um, I talked to some pastors who got pushed back for mentioning it, you know. Um, but and just as an aside, um, like, thank you to our white friends, evangelicals who don't have diverse churches, but still preach against racism. Your church doesn't have to be diverse for this to be addressed. The gospel has something to say about this. When we were mentioning texts, we probably should have definitely put uh, Galatians 2, 11 through 17 in there, where Paul confronts Peter. And um, when he shows hypocrisy on who he will eat with and won't eat with, Paul calls that a gospel issue. So not only is it an application of the gospel, when when Peter got it wrong, um, Paul confronted him publicly and said, because um, it wasn't in line with the gospel, and he was even causing people like Barnabas to go astray. Um, so in other words, there is a way to relate to each other racially that is in line with the gospel, and it's not. Um, so I, I guess you could take these steps, like you could call it out, right? Or you could be quiet. Or uh, the worst thing you can do from the pulpit, even worse than quiet, is to um, support it. And so um, everyone knows Charlottesville is very close to one of the largest um, theological schools in America. And uh, a lot of the pushback in our section has been like um, just some of the things that um, have been tweeted from the president of that school um, in terms of supporting um, the president's stance on that would be Jerry Falwell Jr. Things. Yes, it would. Uh, and so I found some of that stuff very disheartening. Um, so at that point, I was like, man, like at first, I mean, you just seen the Twitter timeline. I was like, 
is he going to say something? This is an hour from his school. He hasn't said anything. And then at the end, he was like, man, like maybe for the body of Christ, silence would have been better, you know? Um, so there's that piece to it. But um, there's, a, there's a famous quote that says, um, when we're quiet in issues of injustice, we've chosen the side of the oppressor. And so I think it is important. Like if this is, like if you're seeing the gospel for what it is, that evil gets called out for evil. And I'm not saying like that no part of this is nuanced, but the part of white nationalism is completely like, there's no way you can align that with the gospel. So that has to be called out for what it is. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, and there are going to be instances, let me just say this, where, yes, you do have to exercise wisdom and discernment on what you do address. But I thought that this was large enough for any and every pastor, especially given the confusion of statements made Saturday by the leader of the free world, um, to denounce at least hatred in that form and say that it's evil um, and denounce it as something that is not gospel focused. So at the very least, when something like that happens, you would expect Christian leaders to be able to speak up and at least say that. There are going to be other instances where um, you might not say anything, and that's okay. Um, but here's what you, you, you're not supposed to do. You're not supposed to point out the violence in the African-American community around that time and talk about how in Chicago, nine people died over the weekend. has absolutely nothing, nothing to do with the hatred that was being spewed at folks uh, down in Charlottesville. So uh, one of the, the other extremes that people go to is kind of pointing out the violence within minority communities. And that's not helpful at all, especially as a Christian leader. So anybody who has done that, um, I would diametrically oppose um, any viewpoint that that goes there and says that for sure. Have you ever been playing like Uno with somebody? And like they just hold that draw for it's almost like they rather would hit you with that draw forward in the win the game. Um, it almost feels like that. Like someone that's is exactly holding what it is. It's like I got this ace in the hole it's, that for every yeah. time something happens, I'm Boom, going to Chicago. point out. <laughs> I'm going to South point South out Chicago. the violence in draw Chicago. Forward. Man, <laughs> you know what I'm saying. And so um, here's the hard part, and this goes for Black Christians and White Christians. Um, examine our hearts, like, and um, repent of racism wherever we find it. That's not a white people issue, even though right now we're talking about that. So specifically, like, the context of our conversation right now is about that. Like, but, like, that goes for Black Christians as well, right? Like, um, like anywhere where you find it in your heart, the gospel is not just speaking to white people in Galatians 2. It's not just speaking to uh, white people in Galatians 3. In Acts 6, all of those verses, like, hey, like, we have a past here that makes it easy for Black people to be embittered and unforgiving towards white people before we even get a chance to know them. But even if they don't, the call is still uh, forgive as Christ forgave you. I'm not saying that's easy. We don't wrestle to get to that point. But when the gospel speaks of these race issues, it's not just speaking to um, for the oppressor to take action. You know what I'm saying? or for one culture to take action. Like it's speaking to everyone. Yeah. And that's hard to hear. And here's here's one last thing I'll say about 
about the monuments thing because I think I mentioned that we talk about it. Uh, my opinion is that when if a monument ever comes more important than the gospel, then there's some serious heart level work that needs to be done in people's hearts. And that goes across the board. I don't care if it's Robert E. Lee or one of our former presidents. Um, if it becomes more important than the gospel itself, which I believe a monument like Lee or anything else um, that deals with Confederate issues um, certainly um, is something that people can hold up as more important in the gospel. Then I think that that as a Christian, that there should be certainly be some serious heart level work besides using the talking point of saying it's part of our, our history, a sordid history at that. Yeah. And uh, so we're thankful for a gospel that speaks to both sides, right? Uh, even when that speech is hard. And so, um, Jay Rich, I don't think we can get out of this podcast with at least uh, talking about um, what the gospel says in the context of our president, two men. So you want to start this one? The gospel has things to say about many sides of what the president has said, many sides. So, so, um, would so, you like me to sharpen that just a little? Yeah, please do. So, okay. Um, a lot of evangelicals were very supportive of Trump. A lot of, uh, evangelicals, uh, Christians of color had grave concerns from the jump about uh, his presidential campaign. Um, now we're in it. So how does the gospel speak to um, Christians who have supported Trump? And how does it speak um, to Christians of color, many of whom have been grieved by his presidency? Yeah. So on the one hand, I believe that there's, and I saw a poll today that said that six in 10 who supported him um, would support him moving forward. And I think part of it is just a pride issue, man. Just the pride of saying, hey, I threw full level support behind this guy and he's going to be my guy. And again, that's it's, it's like the ace in the hole, right? Because I think Obama, who's vacationing and doing all his other stuff, comes up more than Trump does these days as kind of that counter argument. Well, oh, Obama did something on immigration. And let me tell you, uh, later on in Obama's presidency, like I was like, what is going on right now? Um, I felt like uh, there were some things the minority community was expecting him to do and say, and, and he probably dropped the ball on that. But uh, to be able to go back to a predecessor and uh, excuse the behavior of the current president without holding him accountable um, and for even like moral stuff, um, being able to, to speak the truth and, and tell the truth. Um, are things that 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 we should be able to hold him hold him accountable for and to. Um, on the other hand, um, as a minority in the, in the minority community, um, he he certainly is someone in a position of power. You know, we we've discussed this before in terms of what Romans says about uh, respecting those in authority uh, and even praying for them. I saw a tweet from. Our boy Thabiti today saying that he was uh he wanted him to be uh, uh 
removed from office and somebody responded said why don't you just pray for him he said well why can't i pray and still hope that he gets removed from office so so there's no there's no either or there like you can pray for the person in leadership but you can also see that some of the stuff that has been done uh could potentially lead to um some type of conversation about impeachment or something to that effect so I think it's not even a, a either or proposition like you can pray for someone, but you can also uh, work towards holding them accountable as well. Right. I think I think you nailed it. I think the gospel again, the guy we have a gospel that always speaks to both sides. So, yeah, always, always. It's not a one sided deal. It's not uh, judging someone else or or holding someone else accountable without holding that mirror in front of your face. Because we even talked about it, right? We were like, hey, uh, bruh, how do I see the um, Imago Day or the image of God in these white nationalists after seeing these photos? Like, it was hard for us processing it this weekend. We were like, right. God still requires us to see him as made in his image and even to pray for them and to pray that God continues to work on their heart crazy yeah. that's the gospel though <laughs> that's how paradoxical things, it is i think one of the things we see that makes it easier is um like we can see the brokenness of our world and it's easy to get radicalized and i think the gospel would say hey you are to be radicalized but you're to be radicalized by love mm. because of a great exchange that took place on a wooden tree um wow. so you are to be radicalized but it's not to be radicalized by hate, right? It's to be radicalized by love to the point where you look and you see, hey, like that heart is symptomatic of the same heart that I have. It may manifest itself in different ways. It may have different idols. My idol might not be white nationalism, but it might be something. Um, and it might not look as gross when it comes out as um, someone who goes around and, um, and wields tiki torches, which <laughs> that's a whole nother thing. We won't even touch that, but I'm um, right. Like that, that is what my heart does too. And uh, Christ is a real savior for real sinners. Yeah. And and that's and, why um, the gospel hey, hey, is unlike that person one day might be a potential brother or sister in Christ. And that's why it's unlike any other message in this world. And that's why both of us um, live our lives to proclaim it. Um, and to live it out and to process all of this stuff in light of what the gospel means to us and what it means for the world um, as as Jesus Christ is is the savior of the entire cosmos, including white nationalists. <laughs> so he, we need to be able to proclaim the gospel even uh, in that context and tell them about someone who can transform their hearts and our hearts as they are hardened towards them as well. Amen. Jay Rich, hey, we should probably um, throw out a resource or two you might recommend for someone specific to the context of what we've talked about tonight. So I have a couple that I think I'll I would throw out there and this one's from last week and it's kind of weird how it's kind of relevant right now but uh, I talked about the book I was reading on the Azusa Street Revival 
Yeah. And it was a revival unlike any other, led by an African-American, but it was so multicultural um, and it was so powerful. And even in the midst of that, a gentleman by the name of Charles Parham, who was the black guys, William Seymour's uh, mentor of sorts, came in and started dropping the in bombs, talking about how it was full of ends and the N-word was leading it. Uh, and and Seymour kind of graciously uh, stepped back and told him that you know he he wasn't welcome at the mission anymore. But just seeing that picture and seeing what's happening today, I thought that was I, I would commend that book to anyone for sure. Um, another one would be Divided by Faith, a quintessential work by uh, Michael Emerson and Christian Smith, a sociologist, but just talking about uh, the racial divide in the church and. Um, it's it's the read that I would commend to anyone interested in race, race reconciliation or race relations. I, I would also commend um, your boy did a great work. who also took in a historical approach. Ed Gilbreth, Reconciliation Blues. Uh, Tony Evans, One is Embraced. I think he has a YouTube clip. If you type in One, One is Embraced, where he does a sermon on Jesus with the woman of Samaria, that's great. Um, Tom Skinner's talk, U.S. Racism and World Evangelization. Um, from Urbana 1970s, really powerful. Give some context to this conversation that's been going on. Uh, you can on YouTube find Jamar Tisby's talk about Black Lives Matter from a gospel perspective, which is great. Uh, Walter Strickland, um, his teaching on um, the rich history of the Black church is amazing and points to some of the issues um, that once you see it in its context, makes make a lot more sense theologically. Yeah, Just, I think those if you throw out 25 of them, I'll throw out one more, and that's Disunity in Christ by Christina Cleveland, since we need a couple of females in there. Also, Trillian Newbull's United is also a good good book on race relations and um, gospel center for sure. So, I got a closing thought. So, um, we always name them 37. My favorite athlete, I got to mention them, Joe Delaney, number 37, uh, former. Kansas City Chief running back, um, drowned trying to save three kids. Saved one, drowned with two of them. Um, but what I think it is, it's just um, out of any athlete's story, just the clearest picture of the gospel, um, where we see people, um, a hero who would sacrifice his life to save another's. And so um, the 37 episode, apropos Joe Delaney, um, we want to close by pointing people who's going to rescue our world that's drowning in sin. Uh, fortunately, God did send us a hero in Christ. So closing thought, episode 37, the Joe Delaney episode. Uh, we're praying for Charlottesville. Pray for us as we try to gather our city together to move towards reconciliation. And and that's why I always let C-Last do the benediction at church, because the doors of the, the church is now open. <laughs> Don't you still owe me some communion? <laughs> Thank you guys for joining us for episode 37 of the boxing one podcast again this one was a little bit different we wanted to be able to reflect on charlottesville hopefully you guys found that to be helpful uh we both just have a heart and a passion to see um christians walk together um, based on gospel-centered relationships and whenever we see that fractured whenever we see our timelines on opposite sides of the fence uh, we want to be able to step in and bring some type of cross-centered conversation to that. So hopefully we did that. 
And we will see you guys next go round on episode number 38. Thanks for joining us.